Hello and welcome to the Phenomena podcast. My name is Shauna Lee Lynch and I am here with Maria Butler. And this is the podcast where we talk about, discuss, celebrate uh, underrepresented and underwritten women in Irish history. Yep, um, this week we might be a little bit low energy because there's a chance we both have the coronavirus. There's not a chance I have it. I'm thinking positively. <laughs> I don't want any of that negativity in my life. Thank you, Maria. I'm like 85% sure that I have it or I'm going to get it. So the sound might also be a little bit different to normal because we're in a larger room to prevent cross-contamination. Yes, I'm sitting a meter away <laughs> and hoping for the best. <laughs> okay. So this week, I it is my turn, and I am going to be talking about a lady called Anthony O'Connell, who was a nurse, so appropriate in these health times. Indeed. What's her name, Anthony? Uh, no, she was a nun, so her she was actually born as Mary O'Connell, okay. but when she became a nun, she took the name Anthony O'Connell. Okay. Uh, like Sister Anthony. Yeah, I'll tell I'll tell you more about her next. She was an interesting lady. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm going to start off just about talking about my theories on nuns in general because I think that it's kind of important to address the elephant in the room. The nun in the room. The nun in the room. The habit in the room. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> As I've been researching women, I've been coming across like different nuns and like interesting people in general and even in my old job when I used to research people every so often I'd come across nuns and I used to be really prejudiced against them because we grow up in a society where nuns have a bit of a bad rap but I don't think that that's necessarily fair in all cases like absolutely there were some nuns who didn't do some particularly nice things mm. and a lot of us and our parents would have had experiences in schools with nuns who could have been a little bit nasty but I think that it's unfair to tear all of them with the same brush I've thought about it a lot over the last few years and I think that if I lived a few hundred years ago I probably would have become a nun because I kind of feel this, I have like very, or no, you go on, what were you saying? You continue your thought. Well, I was just saying that back a few hundred years ago, women didn't have many opportunities. So your opportunities were essentially like you get married and have kids or there were some work opportunities, but the work opportunities weren't great. And a lot of the time probably were just like servants or prostitutes or you could become a nun. And I think that a lot of the early examples of feminists were nuns because they were people who weren't tied to the domestic sphere. So they were able to be educated and they could educate other people and they could travel around the world and in like work in medicine. So like in the case of Sister Anthony, who I'm going to talk about, they were they were given a position where they could influence a lot of people by virtue of the fact that they were nuns as opposed to wives and, mm. and mothers. Um, and I think that as a result, some of them managed to do some really cool, really interesting things. And I think that it's well worth talking about them. Yeah. I kind of, I think we've discussed this before, you and I, privately, off, off the record. I would have very strong feelings against Catholicism and anybody who, you know, inflicts that kind of thinking or stuff upon other people so initially when you said none I you know I immediately like tense up and like oh but like what you said I also have thought about this before and it is true that 
yeah, nuns in the last 100 years, in Ireland particularly, you know, and again, it's not every, every one of them, you know, it was, uh, it's, it's the same with people, there are some good people and there are some bad people, there are some good nuns, there are some bad nuns. And um, plenty of mediocre ones. And there's plenty <laughs> of mediocre ones, exactly. But yeah, I, in the last, say, 100, you know, 150 years, kind of, our, our grandparents' generations, our parents' generation, especially here with the mother and baby homes and everything, it is kind of like something that you would kind of feel negative energy towards or negative thoughts. But likewise, I too have thought about that if I was born 200 years ago or 300 years ago, with the same thinking that I have now, I would have either been burned at the stake or I probably would have become a nun because it would have, you know, it, it did give you a life that, or by your vocation, you managed to get out of having arranged marriages, having, you know, having to, to be something that you don't want to be. By becoming a nun, you were given somewhat certain independence, even though I'm sure they had a lot of, yeah, like, you obviously would have had to have adhered to, like, the rules of the, the church. Yeah. But we'll see now when I talk about Sister Anthony, the different things that she managed to get done. Cool. I'll start off with the story of Mary O'Connell. Mary was born on the 15th of August in 1814 in Limerick. We don't know a whole lot about her childhood. The first thing that I kind of know about her, other than her date of birth, and that she was born Mary O'Connell was that she moved to America sometime in the 1820s. Her mother also died in the 1820s. I've seen different accounts in different articles on her as to the timeline of what happened. So I'm not sure if they moved to America in the 1820s as a result of the death of the mother or if the mother died in America. It's not particularly clear. She was educated at the Ursuline Convent in Charlestown in Massachusetts, which was an interesting school from what I've read about because it was a Catholic convent school, but it also had like a really good reputation. So it had a lot of uh, Protestant, uh, like wealthy Protestant families would have sent their daughters there to ensure the, the level of education. So already from a young age, like Mary is mixing with like different creeds and religions and different social stratas. Fears. So following her education, she entered the Sisters of Charity in Emmitsburg when she was 20. And two years later, she became a nun and took the name Sister Anthony, which is what she's remembered by. So I'm going to only refer to her as Sister Anthony okay. for, for <laughs> the right. course of this. How old was she when she became a nun? Uh, so about 22. Okay. And do they say, was, was she with her dad in Boston or were they left to kind of fend for themselves or that on the, the, the dad was on the scene um, I think that the convent school that she was in was a boarding school okay so and I think that she also stayed with an auntie mm-hmm. so the father was around but he wasn't like in the immediate yeah proximity. that's probably what would have happened at the time yeah. yeah but the Sisters of Charity religious community that Mary joined they were the first active community of religious women that began in the United States from their founding in 1809, these sisters adopted a simple black dress, cape and cap. Their prayer schedule and religious rule were designed to accommodate active ministry. They opened an academy, free school and orphanage at their mother house and regularly visited the poor and sick in the neighbourhood. 
when Mary O'Connell joined the community, it had over 200 members and more than a quarter of a century of experience in schools, orphan asylums and hospitals spread from New England to the Mississippi Valley. They engaged in every form of social outreach and the sisters were prepared and eager to respond to any need. So they were like very new and very active. In 1937, she was sent to Cincinnati, which was a relatively new church community. It was only up and running for about 15 years. She went there with three sisters, non-sisters, not sisters, sisters. <laughs> uh, she actually took her vows to become a nun while she was in Cincinnati. Okay. Cincinnati at the time was a rapidly growing metropolis and it was soon to become one of the largest cities in the country. So it was founded in 1788, so only about 50 years before she got there, as a frontier settlement. Cincinnati now was, by this stage, was booming with businesses, churches, schools, theatres, hotels. Uh, so amongst those attracted to Cincinnati were a lot of German and Irish immigrants. Many of these newcomers were Catholics, so by 1846 they comprised one third of the city's population. When Sister Anthony arrived in 1837, there were only two Catholic churches, and by 1850, there were 12. Wow. So, when the first Sisters of Charity came to Cincinnati, they encountered some bigotry and discrimination from the Protestants. But the rapid growth of the Catholic immigrant population triggered a really significant and bitter anti-Catholic spirit. Okay. So well she was there obviously with all the influx of all of the immigrants, there was like a really strong anti Catholic sentiment in the community. So they were working to try and help everybody, but they were also battling these really strong prejudices at the time. So for example, the Presbyterian minister, Reverend Lyman Beecher, arrived in eighteen thirty two and in eighteen thirty five he published a plea for the West, which was an assault on Catholicism. Through the antebellum decades, a spirit of anti-Catholic animosity simmered. So essentially, not a nice place to be a Catholic at the time. Now, this did not deter Sister Anthony from her mission. So for her first 20 years in Cincinnati, Sister Anthony educated children in orphans. So she ran, it started off as one orphanage and then it spread into two orphanages and then it combined into one orphanage again. That was like a mixed orphanage for boys and girls because of all of this anti-kind of catholic sentiment Mm. there was it was quite difficult for the catholic organizations to receive funding so as a result of this the sisters of charity decided to become associated with the daughters of charity who were a french organization but in order to being part of this organisation, they had to change the rules of their order, which meant that the sisters could only serve females in orphanages and couldn't help males. Sister Margaret Cecilia George, with the support of the Cincinnati Bishop and Sister Anthony and a few other sisters, they actually formed a splinter group and they started their own order, which was the Sisters of Charity of Cincinnati. So I just think that's real cool. So did they do that so that they could look after boys and girls? Or yeah. Okay, that's good. Because I was like, what happened on those boy orphans? Well, this is the thing. So they weren't happy with the rules changing, the saying French that they could rules, only, yeah. the French rules saying that they could only support like Women. a certain section of society. Yeah. So they decided to set up their own order okay, where they could support it. whoever they want. So Sister Anthony was one of these nuns who, who went and set up the order. Nice. 
they're still running now actually in it. Okay. Yeah. And it's such a it's such a like a specific name for an order of nuns as well, like the Sisters of Mercy of Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Following the breakaway of the Sisters of Charity, Sister Anthony became involved in running the New Orders Hospital, St. John's Hospital and Hotel for the Invalids. Nice. I know, right? Um, and that was uh, Cincinnati's first medical hospital. Okay. So in 1954, she decided to train as a nurse and became head of St. John's Hospital the following year. So already you've got, she's been minding orphans for however long, for like 20 years. She's been involved in setting up and running two orphanages in the merger of those two orphanages. And now she's, within a couple of years of it being set up, running a hospital, like a woman is running a hospital big news this big news in Cincinnati but that's it and it's the city's first hospital as yeah. well and she's like an Irish nun <laughs> great maybe it helped that she had a man's name rather than a woman's name possibly <laughs> they got replies to her emails faster <laughs> yes email me a what carrier pigeon did they have those back then Another thing that I find really interesting is that she's quite often mentioned as being like really pious. There's one def- or there's there's one description of her here as thoroughly unaffected in manner and without the faintest trace of show. Every word she uttered betrayed animating spirit of piety and ever pre- present consciousness of her mission, which was to do good. Wow. I think that's bullshit. Really. Yeah, I kind of do. I think that it's a way of like really pigeonholing somebody into like the the gender roles that were appropriate at the time. Mm. Like, as I said, this woman was running a hospital, was running the city's first hospital. She's already traveled from Ireland to America to Boston over to Cincinnati, which is a good bit away. Like I, I Google mapped it. <laughs> yeah. Just just to change like what was going on. This is all in like the early to mid nineteenth yeah. century. She's got people running around doing everything that she wants them to do. To me, that's not pious. To me that's a strong woman who knows what she wants. And I just find it really interesting that she's been like described as this way. Maybe she was, I never met the woman. She's dead a yeah. very long time. But I think that the further I kind of talk about her, the more that like she definitely seemed to have like a, a very iron will. Yeah. And to me, that doesn't match up with what with how she's being described. Yeah. And another thing I found really interesting is there's um this book that was written at the end of the nineteenth century talking about all of the nuns who were involved in the Civil War, and she gets an entire chapter dedicated to her. So I read the chapter of the book and like maybe four or five paragraphs of what she did during the Civil War. And the rest of it's about her funeral and how many people turned up at her funeral. And it just seems like that this woman was really hard to categorise in a way that was palatable to the people at the time. Anyway, sorry, that was a, a very long stream of conscious. So I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. Uh, when she was running the hospital, she obviously had like a really small budget with which to like feed people and give them medicine and all that kind of stuff. So she was, she was recognised for being very frugal and also a little bit tricksy. <laughs> so I think that this, I think this is the best way to describe her, my understanding of who this woman was. She went to a liquor merchant one day and asked if she could fill her jug with spirits to help and needy in the hospital and the merchant turned around and was like yeah no problem go ahead nice man but then he noticed that she kept on coming back and forwards from her wagon and was like what is going on here 
So he went out to the wagon and saw that in her wagon she had a barrel shaped like a jug. So he had thought she was just going to fill up like a tiny jug, but she was actually filling up a keg. A <laughs> And when he said something, she just kind of looked and smiled at him. So then he turned around and told her that uh, she'd be able to get whatever she needed for him for as long as she needed. So apparently he kept his promise. And even after he died, his descendants made sure that she still got like all of the spirits that she needed for, wow. for her hospital endeavors. And does that sound like a pious woman? No. <laughs> Most certainly not. I just think it's great. I love that trickery. I'd love element. to hear their conversation. What went down? What, uh, you know, what was said for that arrangement to come about? Or did he just like her moxie? I like to think he just liked her moxie. Mm. I think that, I, I, I definitely feel like uh, this woman had a lot of moxie. Yeah. Which is why I have a bit of a crush we on like her. like that in a gal. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Sister Anthony was thrust into American national prominence with the outbreak of the American Civil War in 1961. Volunteering to help the ill and wounded, she initially served at Camp Denison near Cincinnati, establishing her reputation as the Florence Nightingale of America. She reinforced her image as the angel of the battlefield after the Battle of Shiloh in Tennessee. Can I ask, actually, I now that I'm thinking of it, I actually don't know where Cincinnati is. It's in Ohio. Silo was a two-day clash occurring on April 6th to 7th in 1862. It involved more than 100,000 Union and Confederate soldiers and resulted in more than 23,000 casualties. Jeez. Located in a remote southwestern corner of the state, the wounded and dead lay on the battlefield for days before assistance arrived. When news of the battle reached Cincinnati on April 9th, the Sanitary Commission chartered steamboats known as floating hospitals equipped with surgeons, nurses and supplies. Three sisters, including Sister Anthony, left on the first boat. Sister Anthony worked on the battlefield and on the floating hospitals and over a period of weeks made several trips accompanying the wounded to Cincinnati hospitals. Sister Anthony, during this time, she saved both Confederate soldiers and Union soldiers. So she actually got a really good reputation amongst pretty much everybody involved in the war for her, the fact that she didn't distinguish between people and she was just helping the people who needed to be helped. That's good. And that's a theme that I think runs pretty consistently through her life, which, yeah. is, which is exactly what you want in somebody who's involved in, in minding people and taking care of them. So she, her description of her experience is... Whilst we were at Shiloh, we were often obliged to move, move further up the river owing to the terrible stench from the dead bodies on the battlefield. But what we endured on the field of battle whilst gathering up the wounded from among the dead is simply beyond description. At one time, there were 700 of these poor creatures crowded into one boat. The Sisters of Charity went to war as nurses, but it sometimes fell to their lot to be assistant surgeons. The battlefield of Shiloh presented the most frightful and disgusting sights that it was ever my lot to witness. Jesus. And apparently she did a lot of good around like um, wounds and she prevented a lot of amputations and she saved a lot of lives because of what she was, because of the medical skills, I guess, that she was bringing to the battlefield. Wow. And I know this is really bad, but I just keep thinking of, you know, 
in there's a flashback in Friends where Phoebe is a nurse in the <laughs> in the Civil War. Do you remember that? And she's yeah. like speaking in French, and then her arm gets blown off, and there's like blood everywhere. But it's 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 pretty much that, and like some of the nuns who went with Sister Anthony, like they didn't survive the war. They they died on the battlefield. Like they were genuinely like they were embedded with the soldiers throughout the this this battle but throughout like other parts of the war that she was featured in as well yeah she was the equivalent of current army doctors it wasn't that she was sitting somewhere safe like she was out in the battlefield Front and center yeah she was she was rooting through bodies there are stories of like her tracking down people to like comfort their loved ones after they had passed away there's stories of her i read one story where she found like a father and a son i think and one if not both of them had had parts of their faces blown off so they couldn't recognize people and she figured out that they were related and like put them together so that they could oh my god you know spend their final moments together i think one of them survived if not both of them but like she was cool she was doing the thing doing the thing way better than florence nightingale (laughs) because you know the florence nightingale didn't believe that women should be doctors (laughs) no yeah she did some cool stuff, but also had some very outdated notions. But yeah, so like what Sister Anthony was doing was genuinely phenomenal work. And one of the things that she's actually been credited with is having developed the battlefield triage. So her method was apparently the first recognizably modern triage techniques in war zones. And she saved countless lives through faster hospital treatment, uh, which won her praise from President Lincoln. Wow. So, yeah, this woman was cool. And although technically she was a nurse, based on the descriptions that I read, what she was doing seems to have been closer to to doctors and and, and surgery. And I'm not saying that there's anything not worthy of... Being a nurse, obviously, yeah. But just the fact that, like, this woman was a essentially a doctor in the 1860s that's pretty cool and she was Irish and she was a nun which I'm going to keep on going back to because I think it's cool so she was present at many of the battles in the Western Theatre and she served for 28 months at a general hospital number 14 which was a field hospital in Nashville Tennessee through her work as a field nurse and her long hours on the riverboat hospitals she befriended many of the leading figures including union generals William T. Sherman and Ulysses S. Grant, as well as the Confederate President Jefferson Davies. So she was hobnobbing with with the top brass. Also, which is really interesting, the the head of nurses at the time was very anti-nun. Okay. So she kept on trying to get rid of the the nuns from the battlefield. But Sister Anthony was so well-respected that eventually there was a legislation change which meant that the field surgeons and the field doctors could choose who they worked with themselves. And the people who were working with Sister Anthony and the nuns requested that she stays on with them. So she was actually like formally... Acknowledged as a health practitioner. As a health practitioner, but also like was genuinely a member of the army. She got discharged at the end of the the war. Mm. And her gravestone has two headstones on it so one is her nun's headstone and the other one is an army nurse headstone jeez so yeah she she was both and she was really well respected amongst everybody who worked with her 
they were saying that like the hospital that she she ran was really clean that like there was no unnecessary drama for want of a better mm. word off the top of my head like she was really really well respected amongst all of these people as I mentioned she was formally discharged from the army on July 31st 1865 and those who witnessed Sister Anthony's courage and compassion throughout the war promulgated stories of her extraordinary work several times the steamboat on which she was traveling encountered harrowing conditions on the rivers each time the fearless woman refused to leave her patients despite the danger she was also willing to speak up on others' behalf as when she pleaded successfully for the life of a young Southern soldier who had been captured. She visited contraband camps near Nashville to care for those stricken with smallpox. There and elsewhere, she volunteered to care for smallpox victims, even though the stench was so bad, she recorded, I did not think I could endure it. So these were, she was also helping like slaves and runaway slaves, as well as the Confederate soldiers, as well as the Union soldiers. And I don't know if you've ever looked at pictures of smallpox. No, I haven't. <laughs> I look at them every so often because I'm weird that way. <laughs> what actually is it? Smallpox is horrific. It's eradicated now since the 1970s. But essentially your whole body breaks out into all of these boils. Oh my God. And okay, like, you know, like the wicker man. Yeah. And you know the way he gets like all of the bees into the helmet and like, oh no, the bees. bees. Yeah. Now imagine if he got stung all over his body with with all of those bees and there was like literally no space left. There was only stings. That's kind of what smallpox looks like. And it's fatal and you die of it. Yes. It's really horrific. And it was only in the 70s that they found like a... No, it was eradicated in the 70s. The vaccination has been around for a little bit longer, but it was still in a lot of kind of more developing countries yeah so they came up with this system where they came in you have to have like you have to have a physical contact with somebody with smallpox i think in order to get it so they were finding clusters of where people had smallpox and then they were vaccinating everybody around that area to prevent its spread so there has been no recorded case of smallpox in what like 40 or 50 years phew (laughs) kind of fascinated by smallpox it's how i would end the world painful uh, well thought out no I've like genuinely thought about it I have this have I never told you this no okay if I was to do a terrorist attack it'd be like a long term game plan where I would like convince somebody when they're really young right before they go into college to go and study something that would get them a job in the CDC then I'd get them to build their what's way the CDC the centre of disease control okay the CDC have vials of smallpox and also have vials of smallpox vaccination like they're locked away and I get them to like get up high enough so that they get security clearance to get access to both of those things then I get the vaccine first and I'd inoculate all of the people that I don't want to eradicate this is really (laughs) maybe eradicate isn't the right word but I'd get rid of like I'd I'd inoculate everybody that I didn't want to die then I'd release smallpox onto the world and that is how I would um, create my dictatorship You've spent a lot of time on this. <laughs> well, <laughs> should I be scared? I don't, like, it's just a plan. It's just hypothetical. Yeah. If, if needed, if you want to inflict world domination. Correct, yes. And smallpox. And smallpox. Yeah. But as I said, like, everybody would be inoculated except for the people who aren't. Who are? Like, the people, but, like, it would just be, like, people who aren't good people. The like, Trumps of the world, uh. No, like the people who don't say please and thank you. 
or the people who could be having a bad day or the people who order at the bar and then walk away before they've taken their pint or paid for it you know jeez nobody's safe with uh, Maria Maria Butler and her smallpox yeah or people who order Guinness at the end of a round mainly it's mainly to do with people in the bars jeez There will be an outbreak of smallpox in a well-known Cork establishment. <laughs> Maybe in like Did 30 years. Did you start time. the coronavirus? No, I've been trying to encourage people. Did you know that sales of corona have gone down like massively because people are refusing to drink corona? My friend told me yesterday that she was in Aldi and that a girl, like a couple were there and the girl was like, we should get loads of pasta and that the man dead seriously was like are you fucking stupid so that's where the pasta comes from and he meant Italy <laughs> so he called his girlfriend fucking stupid in Aldi and said for suggesting buying pasta and he said sure that's where it comes from like the, the coronavirus in Italy sure I was chatting to one of the lads who works in the office near me and he was saying that like all the people who normally drink Corona are buying Sol instead. That's so funny. And he's like, you know that it's not to do with the drink. And they're like, no, it's nothing to do with that. That's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, kind of full circle-y, um, it's funny because um, like I've, I've spent a lot of time in hospital with grandparents, etc., And I know some people that work in hospitals and that are older. And they all said that the hospital's hygiene was way better when the nuns ran the hospitals. Now, they weren't nice and they didn't like them running the hospital, but they said, by Jesus, the place was spotless because the nuns were very, very, very strict and very, very cross. And there was no HR or whatever, like the way that there would be now that the nuns, you know, kind of brought a certain amount of discipline with them. But apparently the hospital's hygiene was way better than it is now. But this is what I'm saying about Sister Anthony and this whole piousness. Mm. Like, I, like, the way that her hospitals are described and the things that she's described as doing, like, that doesn't strike me as somebody who's meek and pious and yeah. whatever. That strikes me as someone who's got, like, an iron fist and is like, you will do this yeah. because there are lives at stake. What's the head nun called? Um, Mother uh, Superior? Mother Superior, yeah. Yeah, you'd have to be a fucking hard knock to get up there to get to to be where Sister Anthony was, you know. So, let me finish telling you about Sister right. Anthony. <laughs> After the end of the war, she was discharged and returned to Cincinnati, where she originally went back to the hospital. But obviously, like, there'd been a few years of war... The population was kind of growing as well, so everything was severely overcrowded. So she went to work to try and get money to build like more hospitals or open more beds and everything, but she wasn't doing particularly well at the time, despite the fact that she had this stellar reputation. There just wasn't that much money going around. So she did have an appeal to the city council, which yielded 50 new beds, wine and brandies, and some private contributions were received, but the funds collected were insufficient to undertake a sorely needed expansion. So in the spring of 1986, a man in poor clothes and weak with fever called at the hospital with a note from Joseph C. Butler of the Lafayette Bank. No relation to me, I don't think. <laughs> uh, requesting that he be properly cared for and the bill be signed to Mr. Butler. So the patient was treated for typhoid fever 
and after his recovery he sought employment at the hospital and a few months later Mr Butler remembering his promise called at the hospital to look for the bill so Sister Anthony replied that the sick man had been given care for in the love of Christ and we send God no bill for our work (laughs) (laughs) I wish they did that nowadays but also like I just love how obnoxious she is <laughs> we send God, not a bill. Yeah. She's like, love if the SP did that. Yeah, it's just, no, your money's no good here. Just God. But it actually worked out really well for her. She gave uh, Mr. Butler a tour of the hospital and she pointed out the inadequacies of the facility and, you know, just the different bits and pieces that yeah. they wanted to get done. Butler went and, like, chatted to a friend of his about kind of like the state of the hospital and they came back and purchased the vacant US Marine Hospital in Cincinnati for $75,000 and presented the deed to Sister Anthony as a birthday present (laughs) so she got given a hospital as a birthday present I think it was like her 50th birthday maybe 50th or 60th birthday that she got it in 1866 so the terms of the deed stipulated that the name be the hospital of the good samaritan and that no applicant for admission be preferred or excluded on account of his or her religion or country that one half of the rooms or wards be kept for the destitute sick and that preference always be given to women and children it was a 95 bed three-story Good Samaritan Hospital, which was popularly known as Sister Anthony's Hospital, and it opened in October 1866. And Sister Anthony continued to enjoy the friendship and respect of the medical staff, with whom she worked both before and during the Civil War with, and physicians from the Medical College of Ohio staffed the hospital, and from its inception it was approved for the education of intern in a number of specialisations. And as a teaching hospital, it encouraged demonstrations, experimentation with new methods and the development of new techniques. Can I input something here? Yes. Um, I'd be sceptical of that. Um, because I know for a fact that in Cork, the nuns in the hospitals agreed in the 70s and 60s here, agreed to a lot of experiments and new techniques and stuff. And uh, a lot of it, like... Did like a lot of stuff was improved, and they did a lot of experiments here. Now it was all in the name of science or what have you, but like, there's just a lot of a lot of kind of you're like, mm, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about that, because like if a nun told you to take something or do something, now this isn't particularly pertaining to to Sister Anthony in her hospital, but in Cork, like my nana and her my grand sister. They were, they, when they both were given birth, they gave birth in the space of like a few weeks to their first children. And this happened to a lot of people. They, nuns told them that they were giving, they were trying out a new pill, a new thing for childbirth, that they had to take it. So back then you would just do whatever a nun told you. They signed this waiver thing. They took the pill and both of them gave birth without being awake. And like that's never happened since then, and but it's just like that was something that they were trying out. There was loads of other stuff about them, like getting people with leg problems, like cutting their tendons and stuff that made people disabled for life. It's a lot of, a lot of, 
questionable activity with hospitals bringing in new but obviously that's how you then create stuff that is very useful also well like this is the thing it's it's not just nuns it would have been like doctors in general and i read this fascinating book years ago it's one of my favorite non-fiction books i've ever read which is the immortal history sorry the immortal life of henrietta Lacks. okay which is about an african-american woman in 1956 I think in America who had cervical cancer oh yes I know about her and that's it and they they took her cells without her permission and they're the HeLa cells and they've been used in so many medical advancements but her family didn't even know anything about this and her family were essentially destitute but part of that book also goes into detail some of the medical experimentation that would have been happening in major major hospitals like John Hopkins and the likes in the 1950s and it's horrific before the advent of, of medical ethics and scientific yeah. ethics, like the things that were done were sometimes we were horrendous. Yeah. But, so it's possible that in Sister Anthony's hospital, there were uh, questionable yeah. experiments performed there, but also like one of the experiment one of the things that I mentioned that she was credited with was the medical triage thing, which doesn't harm people and only helps people. What so, is that? Uh, medical triage that's where you look at a case or you look at a person in front of you you know if you go into A&E mm. you have that before you go in to see the doctor you go into kind of that side room and they have a look at kind yeah. of what's wrong with you that's triage okay. so that's where they decide how serious what's wrong with you is and based on that if you consider it almost like a traffic light system yeah like if you're like green then you're like rushed in to be seen immediately if you're orange then like you'll be seen in, in time while, but yeah. if somebody more serious comes in They'll be and, ahead of you. exactly and if you're red you've got like a sprained ankle or something okay. and you could be there for I don't know that had a name. yeah so that's triage so that's mm-hmm. figuring out how seriously injured somebody is and when to to treat them to accordingly wow so that you're not treating people who will actually survive and she made that up she implemented it she was the first person to implement apparently she was the person to kind of implement this on the battlefield she is uh, or at least the modern version yeah. of it. Wow. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I should have asked her earlier what that was. I was like, yeah, I know what that is. And then I was like, wait a minute, I don't. <laughs> um, so I do see what you're saying about the medical experimentation thing. Yeah. But I do think that's a conversation for a different day. And I think that it's not something that we have enough knowledge about in this particular instance. Yeah, to cast to any her, yeah. just saw some eyebrow raised with the, the church. <laughs> Okay, so there's not a whole lot left in Sister Anthony's story. Well, there's loads, but I'm like really paraphrasing it. So after she ran, after she set up this hospital and ran this hospital, she noticed that there was an, a further need that needed to be filled in the city, which was that a lot of fallen women um, were ending up destitute and starving and penniless and that some of them were leaving their children out to die because they had nothing else that they could do with them now this is about to get into a a, a Um, bit of a a controversial space so i'm only going to talk about this in relation to what i've read in relation to this hospital okay i'm not going to talk about the legacy of these types of homes in later generations that's for another day that's for another day (laughs) So she set up a mother and child foundling home, 
with the view of helping these women who found themselves in the situation where they were pregnant and unmarried so that they weren't living on the streets so that they didn't become destitute. So she got funding again from Butler and Butler's associate to open up this home. And I think found that within the first year they had way more people than they had ever imagined would possibly be there. To all intents and purposes, what I've read, this was a successful endeavour and that it was actually very controversial at the time because the idea that she was even trying to help these people uh, was uh, who were who were clearly sinners wasn't always well received. Now the fact that she was Sister Anthony and that everybody had so much respect for her meant that she got away with it, and it, whereas other people might not necessarily have been able to get away with it. And as I said, from what I've heard, it worked well and it was a su- successful home. And when she was actually she was forced into retirement. And when she went by the bishop, I'm not sure why. Okay. Um, it could have just been due to her age, because she was quite old, or it could have been that she pissed somebody off. I don't know. I just read that she was kind of enforced into retirement. She went and spent the last few years of her life in this home with the mothers and the foundlings. I'm not saying I'm not just saying foundlings because it's a word I like. It's it's the name that they're referred to in all of the literature I've read. Yes. And by foundlings, they mean the babies? Yeah, so I, yeah, so the mothers and their babies, or the foundlings, I guess, would have been the, the children. Children that they found. Would have been abandoned, yeah. Okay. Um, just illegitimate children that would have yeah. been abandoned. So she spent the last few years of her life in this home herself, helping these people. And although officially she was retired... Like, I don't think this is the kind of woman who ever retired. Mm. So she just kind of pottered around and did her own thing and helped all these people. So obviously, as I mentioned, there is, particularly in this country, there's a massive stigma associated with mother and child homes, and rightly so. But I'm choosing to read this foundation of this home as, as a good thing rather than a bad thing because it's something that got these women off the street. These weren't, my understanding is women weren't being sent to this home yeah. against their will. This was very much a, like, a center a center to help women so that they weren't homeless and that they weren't starving and destitute. Yeah. And as I said, the legacy of what happens after that is a completely different story altogether. Yeah. But I do genuinely believe that when she started this, she started it with good intentions. And while she was there, I didn't see any indication of wrongdoing yeah and I didn't look into it then for later yeah years I was going to ask you did anything come up about later I know it's not particularly relevant to this woman because obviously she would have been dead and by all means you know she was trying to do good but did you come across anything or did anything come up in your research or? nothing came up in my research now the thing I guess that it is kind of important to note about the research that I did for Sister Anthony is a lot of the information that I found is in religious historical journals. Okay. So there is a slight bias going yeah, to be there consistently sure. throughout everything. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't. I didn't find any evidence. I also didn't look for any evidence. Yeah. Because I had already spent way too much time <laughs> researching this. So, she died on the 8th of December in 1897 in Cincinnati and was buried at Mount St. Joseph's Cemetery. Her courageous work throughout the Civil War is credited with bringing about a degree of rapprochement between Catholics and Protestants in the Midwest. 
and her piety and devotion earned many tributes before and after her death. Praised for her extraordinary generosity and caring, she was reverenced alike by the blue and the grey and by Protestant and Catholic. And apparently for years after her death, veterans and even some of their descendants used to travel to her grave and like make a pilgrimage to her grave. And there is a portrait of her hanging in the Smithsonian. So I was really fascinated to learn about this this woman because I had never heard that there was an American Civil War version of Florence Nightingale, let alone that she was Irish, let alone that she was a nun, and the fact that she like founded two hospitals, um, was involved in the foundation of a third hospital that she ended up running after a year. Like I just think that she was a really, really impressive woman and she deserves for a lot more people to know about her. For sure. Yeah, and I like how during the war she like helped both sides because, is it the Confederates or the baddies? The racists? The baddies. <laughs> the racists. The Confederates... I don't like saying that wars have goodies and baddies because history is written by the winners. Um, and but we I, don't like the racist ones. I'm just thinking the Confederates. We don't like the racist ones. But also, yes, so the Confederates were the southern states. Yeah. yeah. And the Union were the northern the East. states. Oh, yeah. And so the Union would be the Yankees and the mm. Confederates. I still don't like saying that the Confederates were bad. I do not agree with racism. Absolutely. But I think the same is in every war. Like you don't necessarily believe what you're fighting for you're the person who was drafted up to fight for it mm, yeah and and I, I think that's why i really appreciate sister anthony and her treating everybody who needs to be treated as opposed to like pushing her morals onto people and then deciding who gets to live or who gets to die based on her morals and that's also why i wanted to particularly do sister anthony as the first nun that I'd speak about because nuns have this reputation of of pushing their own agenda all the time and I think that Sister Anthony proves that that's not always the case I agree so thanks for listening if you have any more thoughts on Sister Anthony or any more facts about Sister Anthony feel free to drop us a line on our social medias we've got an Instagram, we've got a Facebook we have an email if you'd like to email us we now have an email. <laughs> <laughs> phenomenalpodcast at gmail.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, it's phenomenalpodcast as well. Yes. And we also have gotten feedback from some people, which has been great. And if you'd like to give us some feedback, give us your thoughts. Oh, your likes. Give us your likes. We it like is. likes. Yeah, and if you want to rate and review. Also, if anybody wants to give us free music, because we know we need a jingle, but we have, don't have one. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, guys.